And God spoke to all God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Please take your seats. Hey, church, good morning. Hey, look at your neighbor and say, it is good to see you. <laughs> hey, last week, uh, I missed you guys last week. My family and I were down in <clears throat> Roseburg, Oregon. It's a metropolis down in Oregon. Uh, Population like 20,000, and uh, if you drive right south on I-5 fast enough, you'll miss it completely. So we were there for the week. Um, our family lives there, and I was officiating a wedding uh, Saturday night, and uh, we were up till like one o'clock in the morning. And uh, the next morning, I got up to I got was invited to, to preach at the church that sent me here to uh, Taproot and. Uh, it was an interesting sermon, you know, it's like, I'm like halfway asleep, like, you know, Jesus said, you know, and, uh, but it was a great weekend, you know, the, the, the senior pastor of that church, his daughter is the daughter, the gal who got married, and so we're great friends, and he said to me, bud, you, you can't make me preach the day after my daughter gets married, and I said, I got you, man, I got you, so I uh, got a chance to, to share God's word on Sunday, and uh, I think it went okay, it was good, but it's good to be home. It's good to see you and just be here with family. Uh, so yeah, uh, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Luis, and I am one of the pastors here. And if this is your first time at Taproot, uh, welcome. Welcome to our church. Um, on the back of uh, the chairs, you'll find a little welcome card. Uh, if this is your first time here, would you take just a few minutes to grab that card, fill, up, fill that out for us, and then before you leave, stop by the welcome desk and drop the card off there. And uh, when you do that, we have a, a little bit of a gift for you, just a simple way for us to say to you, welcome to our church. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, okay, you guys ready? If you have a Bible... Whoa. If you have a Bible, open your Bible to the book of Exodus chapter 20. Uh, if you need a Bible, we've got some Bibles um, by the back door. Uh, if you don't own one, you can have one of ours as our gift to you. But we're gonna, I'm going to need you to, to look at uh, Scripture today. Now, here's something that happens um, as, as, um, happens to me as, a, as a, a man who preaches God's Word. I get the opportunity every week to, to be in a text of Scripture and to, to look at it and to look at the nuances and the details. And I get really excited, you know. But I've been in the text, like, for five days, you know. 
So I get here on Sunday morning, and I'm like a fire hose, ready to roll, you know. But this is the first time that you're thinking some of these things, you know. And so my prayer today is that God would somehow miraculously uh, help you to be in like day five of an in-depth Bible study with me, you know. Uh, because I can't tell you what God has been doing this week in my heart through the text that we're going to look at today. And so I, my prayer is that, that, that the same thing or a similar work would happen in your heart. Um, so I pray that happens. But we are in the middle of a sermon series that we simply call The Great Story. And uh, with this series, we are basically trying to answer just a couple questions. Number one, we're asking this question. The Bible tells us one great story. Therefore, what is that one great story that the Bible tells us? And also, you know, the Bible is God's self-revelation. So therefore, what is the story of God as told in Scripture. And so what we've been doing for the past few weeks is we've been taking these large portions of the Bible, these famous stories, and we've been trying to, to plug them in and to see them through the overarching storyline of Scripture. And the Bible's storyline could really be summarized with four words. You should probably already know this by now, right? Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And since we started this series, we've looked at uh, the fall uh, of man. We looked at creation, the fall of man, the story of Noah. We looked at Abraham for a couple weeks. And last week, Pastor Glenn showed us how the Exodus fits into this overarching story of Scripture and how it points us to Jesus. And today, we are going to talk about the law. And like We've done in basically every single sermon in this series, our main goal, our main objective is to see how the law points us to Jesus. Now, a couple things as we get started here. Uh, the giving of the law starts in the book of Exodus chapter 20 with the giving of the Ten Commandments. That is the scriptures that we read this morning. Now, last summer, while we were in our Exodus sermon series, we preached through each of these commandments individually. Now, if you missed them uh, last year for some reason, or if you want a refresher, those are good sermons for you to listen to. Then at the end of chapter 20, we find what is commonly called the Book of the Covenant. Now, the Book of the Covenant interprets the Ten Commandments that were just given. The Book of the Covenant takes the Ten Commandments and interprets those commandments into a set of laws and rules for the people of Israel in their context and in their time period. That's why for us as 21st century South Seattle folks, when we read the laws in the Book of the Covenant, they hit us in some weird ways. Can anyone say amen? Now, let me give you just a couple examples. Let me give you two. That's what a couple means, you know, just in case you were wondering. Uh, when a man opens a pit or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. Now, who's had that problem before? Anybody? <laughs> now, here's another one. This one just, I find this funny because of the visual picture that I get. When one man's ox butts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead beast they shall also share. 
So some of these laws are weird, a little odd and strange. And even to others, as you look at more of those laws, to some in today's culture, these laws are a bit offensive. And that seems to be the case because we wrongly believe that it is unacceptable for the God of the universe to correct our way of life, what we think and feel in our emotions. But guess what? God's in charge, and he is right. Now, in November of last year, one of our pastors gave us a big overview of the Book of the Covenant and helped us make sense of these really bizarre laws. Because what most of us do is that if you're in this Bible reading plan and you are reading through the Scriptures and you get to passages like this, you don't really read them. You, you skim quickly or flip quickly through those passages as fast as you can so you can kind of get to the good stuff, you know, because those things make no sense. So that sermon in the fall was really helpful to me and I think to us as a church. And the lens that we were encouraged to use as we look at some of these really bizarre laws in the book of the covenant was to see them as a staircase of sanctification. And the main point was that God meets his people where they are and then patiently brings them where he is. I thought that was outstanding. Now, in that sermon, we learned about the context and the gruesome reality that the people of God were living while in Egypt. So God meets his people in this chaotic world. We then saw these laws as God's glorious trajectory to bring the people from the chaos into his order. God meeting people where they were with these laws and taking steps forward with from where they were to bring them where God wants us and wants them to be. God patiently bringing his people whom he loves out of the chaos. But listen, this is a really difficult section for people to, that people struggle with, Christians and non-Christians alike. And if you are one of those people that are, you've wrestled with that, this, that sermon we preached in the fall is a fantastic sermon to re-listen to. And what I'll do this week is we'll make it a point to, to send a link to that sermon in our weekly newsletter. But my hope for this morning is rather than to, to, to re-preach a sermon or sermons, what I really want to do is I really want to focus on how Jesus transforms the law. Okay? How does Jesus transform the law? And here's really what I want to see today. First, I want to see the place of the law in the Bible. Two, the role of the law in our lives. Three, what does Jesus say about the law? And lastly, how does Jesus fulfill the law? And like I said earlier, my prayer is that as you see and hear what Jesus has done to the law, my prayer is that you would see the beauty of Jesus and that it would cause you and me to love him more, to obey him, to live for him, to listen to him, to honor and glorify him because he is so incredible. And may we do this without a burden, but with freedom as a response to what he's done. So let me just pray real quick and we'll get, we'll get rolling here. Father, I thank you for your words. Thank you for the Bible. Truth is what the Bible says. Lord, I pray that that would ring true in our hearts and in our lives today and forever. 
Speak to your people today. Meet your people, God. You know every circumstance. You know the baggage that we bring into this room today. Meet your people, God. Help us to see you, God. Help us to see Jesus. And may your spirit guide us and lead us into all truth. Help us to see wonderful things in the Bible today as the psalmist would pray. And like Kyle said earlier, may this little church, may this expression of your church and your body, may we be an embassy of heaven this morning. Would you do the things that you only can do, God, today? And would you do those things for your glory, the good of our people, and the advancement of the gospel? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's... Let's set the stage. Let's begin with the place of the law in the Bible. And let's, let me say this. When we look at stories like this, we must have a category to put them in. Because far too often we, we separate stories that we find in Scripture from the overarching story of the Bible. And we can do that especially with things like the Ten Commandments. We make them like a standalone idea that gets pulled out of the Bible's storyline. However, when we look at this story and really every other story for that matter, we must view it through the lens of what is called biblical theology because this is a story within a greater story. And the greater story began in the book of Genesis 3.15 when God told his enemy, the devil, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The overarching theme of the Bible is that God created man for his glory. That man fell in the garden by sinning against God and God will one day redeem and restore man. And God will do that by sending a man who will be the ultimate conqueror and champion of his people. And we know that man as Jesus the Son of God who came to give his life as a ransom for many. And every story of the Bible is to be seen through this lens. Every story must fit that framework of how it points us to the one to come and rescue his people, which means that the law, as weird as it is, must fit there as well. It must say something to us about Jesus. So let's, again, set the stage. The Israelites have been set free from Egypt for, after 400 years of slavery. Their deliverer, Moses, has been used by God to bring plagues on Egypt and Pharaoh until they were let go. God parted the Red Sea so his people could walk through that, through that, through that ma- ma- massive body of water on the ground. And he has brought bread from heaven to feed them. And he has brought water from a rock to give them something to drink on this journey to the promised land. Now on their way, God wanted to show his people what laws should rule and govern them. And as his people, he tells Moses to bring them to Mount Sinai. And his instructions were clear. Set boundaries around the edge of the mountain and don't let the people touch the mountain or they will die. So the people come with fear and trembling to Mount Sinai where there was lightning and dark clouds and loud noises. And there God spoke to these people the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. And he expounded on them there with the Book of the Covenant. Now, you've got to look at their response in verse 18 and 19 of chapter 20. 
Verse 18 says this, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. So these guys were terrified, scared that they would rather have Moses speak to them instead of God speak to them. So Moses attempts to, to comfort them, and then he goes to visit with God up in the mountain where he stays for the next 40 days, getting the civil and the ceremonial laws from God to govern the nation of Israel. So that is, that is the place of the law in the Bible. The law written on tablets of stone and given by God. But the question then would be, what role does the law play? What role does the law play? Because when we think of the law, some of us tend to think of the speed limit. We see the law as an obstacle to overcome. Or at least a, a governor on the motor of our hearts holding us back from doing what we really want to do. But the Bible shows that the law plays a necessary and important role in our lives. It's not a governor to our speed demon hearts. The law is not simply to be obeyed in order to overcome it or achieve something. The law is something to be fulfilled. And you've got to keep that word in mind. The law is something to be fulfilled. But let me just give you a few purposes for the law. This is not exhaustive but it is enough to help us see the role of the law in our lives and how the law fits the overarching storyline of Scripture. Okay? According to Exodus 19, 5 and 6, one purpose of the law is to show us how to live as God's people. In other words, the law is there to create a distinction between God's people and the people who are not following God. We are to be distinct in this world because we belong to God. Because we are His, we are to reflect who He is to the world and we are to be different. Second thing, the law shows us the perfect character of God. If you've ever wondered how God lives, you can look no further than the law. You probably heard people say before, God can do anything He wants. To which the law replies, God does not commit adultery. God does not lie. God does not covet. So the law is a revelation of the character of God because each and every point of the law reveals something about God's character. You know, God tells us to be God-centered in our worship because He alone is God. He alone is the God of the universe in all things revolve around him as their center. God can tell us to honor our father and our mother because God is a God of authority and God is a God of order and he is a father to us all. God tells us to not make any graven image in order to worship it. Because he is alive, he is living, and he is relational, and he is personal. So the law reveals the character of God. The law also reveals God's perfect holiness. To be holy means to be distinct 
indifferent, set apart in a good way. And when we read the laws of God, we learn that God does not want people to behave any way they want, but he expects us as his people to conform to his character. The next thing is that the law reveals our sinfulness. Once you begin reading that not only adultery is sin, but so is lusting after someone, you quickly realize that you are a sinner. The law also reveals God's patience. For for years, God patiently worked with people and waited for them to fall in line. But people did not obey, but they kept choosing rebellion. So God's patience reveals that we are not good people who just need more time. We are sinful people who need God. But this leads me to the final point of the law. The law points us to Jesus. In Galatians, Paul makes this claim. Galatians 3, verses 23 and 24. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So this gives us a glimpse into where the law fits into the Bible's storyline. It points us to Jesus. And the way the law does this is that the law, according to Romans 7, reveals to us what sin is. Without the law, we would not understand sin. Without the commandment, do not commit adultery, we would have no understanding of its lawlessness. And when we look at the law, beginning with the Ten Commandments, we cannot get past, you shall have no other gods before me without realizing, uh uh-oh, we have failed the first one. And if we failed the first one, we probably have failed all of them at some point. What is intriguing is that this is exactly what you see in Israel's history. They received the law from God who set them free and who is demanding faithfulness. And not 40 days after they get this, they are worshiping a golden calf. And from the point the law was given, there was this constant battle and tension and friction. God gave the law His people disobeyed it, and there were consequences. And God sent a conqueror, a judge, a king, or a prophet to rescue his people that they would repent, and then they would do it all over again. That's why Paul's statement in Galatians is astounding. The law, because it reveals the character of God and reveals the nature of our sin, is to serve us by pointing us to Jesus. This quote says it well, and it's not on the screen because I added it last night. So uh, this is what it says. The law sends us to the gospel that we may be justified. And the gospel sends us to the law again to inquire what is our duty as those who are justified. The law sends us to the gospel for our justification. The gospel sends us to the law to frame our way of life. So since the law does this, these things, what did Jesus say about the law? 
in how did Jesus fulfill the law. If you've got your Bibles, go to the book of Matthew and um, really go to the book of Matthew chapter 17. But let me read this in chapter 5 of Matthew. This is what the Bible says, Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So the first thing you notice about Jesus' statement is that Jesus did not see the law as something evil to be done away with. Rather, because the law reveals the character of God, it cannot be evil and it will last until heaven and earth pass away. But second, you notice that Jesus came again to, to fulfill the law. There's that word, fulfill. Ed Clowney said this. This is, on, this is not on the screen. I thought it was. How about that? It says this. Uh, we tend to think of the law as rules to, oh, it is, to obey. <laughs> okay, hang on. We tend to think of the law as rules to obey, but Jesus thought of the law as something to fulfill. Now, you might think that that's just, Two different words, they are different. And the difference is huge. Because here's the deal. You don't fulfill rules. You, you obey them. Instead, you fulfill promises. You fulfill prophecies. This means that Jesus saw the law of God not as a list of rules to simply obey, but he saw them as a prophecy to be fulfilled and a promise to be fulfilled. Now, we'll talk about that in a moment, but for now, just keep in mind that Jesus looked at the law as something to be fulfilled, not merely obeyed. And the second thing Jesus said is found, again, in Matthew 5, and it's a, it's a series of statements that kind of go like this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, etc., but I say to you, if you are angry in your heart or, or if you lust in your heart. In this section of Matthew 5, Jesus does not lower the bar for the law. In dealing with murder, he says, in the old days, they told you not to physically commit murder. But I'm telling you that murder is committed whenever you are angry, sinfully angry in your heart towards someone else. And the same is true for adultery. Adultery happens when we lust for someone in our heart. So this, again, proves that Jesus was not abolishing the law. Instead, he was raising the bar for the law. And we, when, he, when he does this, he is doing this to point us to the very fact that obedience to the law is impossible. He, he's revealing the internal nature of our sin. He's revealing our, our darkness, our fallenness, and he's revealing our need for a Savior. And we see that he's not abolishing the law, he is transforming it. And he can transform it because he fulfilled the law. And since he is the only one who can fulfill the law, he's the only one who can transform it. So, I want to show us two things 
and then we'll wrap it up. I want you to see two ways in which Jesus fulfilled the law, okay? And I want you to put your thinking cap on right now, okay? But the first thing is this. Jesus fulfilled the law by being the final revelation of God. Now, you'll remember that one of the functions of the law is to reveal the character of God. If you you want to know how God lives, you look to the law. But the reality is this. If you want to see how God acts, if you want to see how God talks, how God shows compassion, how God forgives, how how God uh, cares with the marginalized, you look to Jesus. The Apostle John wrote this, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John 1, 18. Matthew eleven thirteen 13 says this, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. This was John the Baptist. He is known as the last Old Testament prophet, the one people thought was a lunatic, clothed in camel's hair, and preached about the coming kingdom of God. And what did John the Baptist proclaim that made the prophets and the law Stop prophesying. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is what John said. Jesus is here. The prophets and the law stopped prophesying when Jesus showed up because Jesus is the final revelation of the character of God. And he is not only the final revelation of the character of God and the way he lives and acts, he is the final spoken revelation of what God demands. Hebrews 1 says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Now, in your mind, go back to the scene in Exodus 19 and 20 on Mount Sinai. Lightning, thunder, loud noise, and the people are terrified. And what do they get? Ten commandments on tablets of stone. God spoke, revealed himself through these ten laws. He revealed himself through the law. But when Jesus comes, who is the final revelation of God... God shows up on a different mountain, okay? Now, if you uh, heard me earlier, go to Matthew 17, okay? Matthew 17, this is incredible. On this mountain, Jesus was transfigured. He, He literally took his earthly human suit and pulled it back to reveal the glory of his godlike nature. And as this happens, Moses, who represents the law, and Elijah, who represents the prophets, show up. Okay? And remember, Jesus is to fulfill the promise of the law and the prophecy of the law. And here, in this mountain, in the Mount of Transfiguration, these two representatives are there, representing the law and the prophets. In the middle of this meeting, look at verse 5. This is what happens in the middle of this moment here. He was still speaking 
when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So God shows up to speak. God does not speak with Moses or Elijah or even Jesus. But God shows up to speak with who? Peter, James, and John, who represent God speaking to his people. And he is going to speak to his people about what God wants from them. And what does God want from them? This is my beloved son. This is with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So he gives them one commandment on this different mountain, which is what? Listen to what Jesus says. What God is saying here is this. This Jesus is the great I am. He is the revelation of God to man. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets talked about. He is the final spoken revelation of what God demands. Therefore, rather than looking to the Ten Commandments and the law to obey, look to Jesus who fulfills and reveals what the Ten Commandments are all about. And do one thing. Listen to him. Do what he says. Be like him. Ed Clowney said this, Instead of the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone and shattered at the foot of the mountain because of the people's sin, God uttered only one commandment, the true summary of the law and the prophets. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. The Ten Commandments, God's first specific verbal revelation of his nature to his people, help us to understand God and to understand his Son, who is the fulfillment of the law. So church, there is no more prophetic function of the law. It's been fulfilled in Jesus. There is no more promise of the law. It's been fulfilled in Jesus. And because Jesus fulfills the law, he can transform it. This is why he makes those statements in Matthew 5. You've heard it said of old, but I say to you. He transforms how we view our neighbors by including our enemies in our neighbors and tells us that we are to love them. And only as we taste of his love towards us as enemies, we can begin to love those who are our enemies, those who are different than us. And we can pursue justice for them and we can pursue their their flourishing because that is what Jesus has done for us. He transforms how we view retaliation because he tells us, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. But I tell you, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. And only as we taste Jesus' mercy towards us, those who slapped him in the face by putting him on the cross, we can offer mercy to those who slap us in the face. He transforms how we give. He transforms how we forgive, how we look at spiritual disciplines, how we pray and fast. He fulfills the law, therefore he transforms the law. Are you with me still? But I want to show you something else in this passage. You'll remember that when God gave the law at Sinai, the people stood there and trembled and they were terrified, begging Moses that he would speak to them instead of God speaking to them. But yet the Bible tells us that Moses also was scared silly. 
They knew that they could not obey these laws. They knew that God was not to be trifled with. As C.S. Lewis said about Aslan, the great lion, he is not a tame lion. But notice in verses 6 and 8 of Matthew 17, which is where we were at a second ago, the disciples had the same fear. In this case, however, they saw Jesus, who told them what? Fear no more. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, we as God's people have no more reason to fear. This would mean that the opposite is true. Those who are not followers of Jesus have plenty of reason to fear. So if you're here tonight and you do not believe in Jesus, if you've not trusted in Jesus to save you, realize, dear friend, that you are still under the curse of the law. And there is much reason to be afraid. But the There is only one who has fulfilled the law's promise and prophecy, and that's Jesus. So we encourage you to trust in him. But for us who believe in Jesus, this is powerful and this is hopeful because this is what all this means. There is nothing that can separate you and me from the love of God found in Jesus. How many of you in one way or another, broke the law this week. Maybe on your way to church, speed limit was 60, you went 65. Well, listen, there is no condemnation for those who are found in Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in him has set us free from the law of sin and death. And as his people who have been set free from fear, we find it our joy to listen to him, to know him, to be well acquainted with him, and to, and to, and to pursue him, for he is the fulfillment of the revelation of God. And as you pursue him, and as you know him, this is what you shouldn't... Uh, You should see that he is beautiful, that he is incredible. As you see him as the final revelation of God and what he's done for us, does that cause you to love him more, to listen to him more, to do what he says? So that's one thing. Jesus fulfilled the law by being the final revelation of God. But the second thing is that he fulfilled the law by being the perfect substitute for those under the law. So since one of the functions of the law was to reveal how one is to live as a child of God, we don't look far in Israel's history to see immediate sin. As we mentioned, the very next glimpse of the people of God after the law was given was that they were firing up the furnace to shape up a golden calf to worship. And we don't have to look very far in our lives to see sin. For me, it's more like 40 seconds instead of 40 days, that I find myself falling short of what God demands in the first commandment, let alone the 10th commandment. And according to Romans 7, because the law was given to reveal sin, we see it regularly. In a sense, we see the law as a signpost pointing us directly to our sin. And here's what the law says. If you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. We see the law 
We see our sin and we begin to feel some sort of depression and fear and burden because there's no way that we will ever mount up enough obedience to do what the law requires. How many of you can relate to that? However, as Paul said, one of the functions of the law was to be our guardian. A better word would be that the law was to be our, our tutor. The law, with its condemning attitude, it's, not actu- it's actually not simply a signpost to our sin. It's primarily a signpost to our Savior. So remember, the law was a promise and a prophecy to point us to Jesus who fulfilled it. The promise of the law was obey and be blessed, disobey and be cursed. And this points us directly to the work of Jesus. There are two ways in which Jesus is our substitute in fulfilling the law. First, he fulfilled the law for us by perfectly obeying it. We could not do that. And what we could not do, Jesus did. And Paul said this, summarizing this perfectly, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And the implications of this are tremendous. When we look at the law and see our failure, the law points us to the perfection of Jesus. When we see our kids or when we see ourselves struggling with impatience or disobedience, that's me right here. It is our joy to use this sin to point them, our kids, or us to the one who never disobeyed and encourage them or ourselves to put our faith and trust in him. When our friends say to us that it's just too hard to obey God, we say, you are exactly right. But there is one who has perfectly obeyed God for you. And you can trust in him. And so Jesus is our perfect, obeying substitute of the law of God. And the law of God, which can be used to condemn us, instead is used by God to point us to Jesus. But the second way Jesus fulfilled the law is by perfectly fulfilling the law's penalty. If you can, just mark in your Bibles or in your notes, look up Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. What you'll see is this. Actually, let me just read it to you. Galatians 3, 10 through 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Okay, if we just stop there, you feel the burden. You feel the weight. Verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So you see the curse, you see the burden in verse 10. That's the promise of the law. You can see that the righteous shall live by faith. But notice verse 13. Jesus became a curse for us by hanging on a tree. And what we see is this. Where the law promised a curse, Jesus fulfilled the curse. 
Where the law promised a penalty, Jesus fulfilled its penalty. Where the law promised justice, Jesus fulfilled its justice. And I just closed my iPad. <laughs> Technology. And he does that so that there is no more promise of penalty for God's people under the law. Yo, listen, if you people aren't screaming and shouting on the inside at least, something's wrong. I don't want to throw this pulpit at you because I'm like, come on, wake up. There's no more penalty. There's no more curse. Jesus fulfilled it. We are free. In other words, God's people are no longer under the law. They're under grace. And even further, we disobeyed the law, and Jesus became the curse of the law for us. So there is no more promise of curse on us. But even better and more amazing, Jesus perfectly obeyed the law, and we receive all the law's blessings of life. Eternal life. Because you fulfilled the law? No. Because he fulfilled the law. You get to know God and be in relationship with him intimately. Why? Because you fulfilled the law? No. Because he fulfilled the law. You get to partake in God's plan to redeem all things to himself. Why? Because you fulfilled the law? No. Because Jesus fulfilled the law. And this is why you and I can have life abundant and flourish. This is a big deal. The law serves as a tutor, pointing us to its fulfillment in Jesus. Let me give you quickly two practical examples. Let's say you're talking to a non-Christian about Christianity and faith, and they ask you about sin. And you say that sin is any act of disobedience to God's commands, but they say, well, haven't we all disobeyed? Yes. This perspective of the law will now not allow you to leave them there. It will drive you to say to them, but do you know what God commands really say to us? They say, we can't obey, but there's one who did. Can I tell you about him? Or let's say like every Christian I know, you might have a day or two or three where you get up late, you miss your devotions, you sin in some way, and as you are driving to work or making breakfast for your family, you think this, Gonna have a bad day today because I didn't get my time with God and I've already sinned. Anybody ever felt that way? And God's gonna smite me today because I missed prayer. We all have those days. And this perspective of the law flips that thought on its ear and says, I'm alive today because Jesus has perfectly prayed for me and has perfectly obeyed God. Therefore, I will be glad in the good of this life. So my point is this, if we use the law to condemn ourselves or others, we are living on Mount Sinai, not on Mount Calvary. Through Jesus' work as our substitute, he makes possible for God's people to obey the law because he has released us from the curse and condemnation of the law. And let me say this, and we're going to finish in a second. There are some that might say to this, hey, Luis, if you remove the curse in the condemnation of the law, then no one will obey. You are giving people a license to sin. But the Bible is clear with this amazing irony. 
when we see, when we are struck with the kindness of God, what does that do for us? It leads us to repentance. When we see the full, complete, substitutionary work of Jesus' uh, life, death, and resurrection, obedience will follow. Not out of fear, not out of duty, but simply as a response to what Jesus has done. Because, yo, how could we not? How could we not see what Jesus has done for us and say, I'm going to live however I want? But instead, we see what he has done for us, and we want to be like he is. We want to do the things he does. We want to love the way he loves. We want to honor and glorify God how Jesus does, because we love him, and our hearts have been transformed, and we are responding to the gospel. The reality is this. When the curse and the condemnation of the law is removed, then we are finally free to obey without burden or shackles. And what do we obey? We obey this one commandment. Listen to my beloved son. Listen to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Do what he says. Be like he is. And our obedience begins and flows from the transformation of our hearts not with wanting or needing to simply check off some list of God's rules because the covenant of love wins the day. So Jesus fulfilled the promise and the prophecy of the law. And this is what the law shows us about God's covenant with his people. Again, we are seeing this whole thing through the lens of biblical theology in light of a story within a greater story. And what is that story? It is the story of God redeeming and restoring his people, even though we continually disobey him through the life, death, and resurrection of his dear son. In other words, it's the story of a covenant of love that God made that he will not break with his people. Ephesians 1 tells us that he made this covenant before time began. Revelations 13 says that he sealed this covenant with the blood of Jesus. And Hebrews 6 says that he swore by himself, since there is no one greater to swear by that he would fulfill this covenant. So what do we learn here? The covenant of love wins. Law reveals and points us to Jesus, which reveals God's covenant of love will win. It will win in your life. So dear non-Christian friend, Look to this covenant of love being fulfilled in Jesus. Do not live under the condemnation of Mount Sinai any longer. Believe and be saved from the curse, the condemnation, and the burden of the law to live in this covenant of love with God. But for you, discouraged, tired, mentally exhausted Christian, he who began a good work in your life will complete it. Live on the right mountain. The covenant of love reveals that Jesus transformed the law. And it should be our joy to listen to him. Let's pray. Father, I... It doesn't take me long to 
to think of all the ways in which I failed you. It doesn't take me long to, to look at myself and examine and see sin. And probably that is the, tr- the case for a lot of us. So this morning, God, help us to see Jesus, the one who perfectly obeyed you, lived the life we could not live, and then, in our stead, died the death that we deserved to pay the penalty for sin. And then he conquered death, sin, and the grave when he rose again. And he has set us free from the condemnation and the burden of the law. So God, my prayer is that as we see what Jesus has done, how he's fulfilled the law, the promise and the prophecy of the law for us, when we realize that he's removed the condemnation, the curse, the burden of the law for us, his people, Lord, I pray that our, that our, our hearts would be ignited and that there would be a passion in our soul to obey him. Not because we have to, but because we get to. Not because we are checking off some list, but because we are responding to the gospel. The gospel has transformed our lives, therefore our lives show that transformation. And help us to obey the one commandment you gave us on the Mount of Transfiguration. Listen to Jesus. Go love people like Jesus does. Go bring order, in, bring order into the chaos as Jesus has done for us. Go bring justice where there is injustice. Go bring uh, uh, life where there is death. Go bring beauty where there is pain as Jesus does. Empower that by the Spirit, God. Transform us to be that kind of people who are resting and living on the right mountain. Calvary. Lord, I pray for those who are exhausted and tired, who are, uh, you know, just condemning themselves. Meet them, God. Spirit, go and do work in their soul. Now, give them rest. Give them freedom. I pray for those who may not know you, God. Help them to see the beauty of Christ. And may they trust in you, Lord. And now, Lord, what else could we do but respond in worship? because of what you've done for us. And so we do that together. In Jesus' name, amen.